no matter where we face, we must face the moment of truth, baby. Back for another episode of the Stereo Bros Podcast. This is the Financial Literacy Series, Part Three. It's your boy Patagonia and Lattes, aka PNL, aka formerly known as Kalito. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with a special guest, um, known as Man for quite some time, and he's out here making a couple of big splashes in a couple of big industries. But obviously, we had to talk about finance. So without further ado, I'll let this man introduce himself. Uh, so thank you, Khalil. My name is Anthony Hardzog, a.k.a. Mr. Delete the Debt. And tell the people about a few of the things you have going on from the debt deletion perspective. Yep. So um, Mr. Delete the Debt is something that I started, which is a website slash uh, personal financing or consulting conversation. And my goal is to to point blank period to help people get out of debt um, and get their life and finances in order. Okay. Okay. That sounds, you know, dope. What are some of the, well, actually let's start from the beginning. Um, How did you grow up in terms of finances? Were you guys boiling out? Did you guys all have trust funds? Was it, you know, school lunch? (laughs) <laughs> Give folks, you know, some uh, some perspective and some background information on you. Yep. So I'm 32 years old, currently living in Dallas, Texas, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Growing up, I did not know anything about finances. The only thing that I did know was that uh, you needed money to buy things. That's that's the extent <laughs> of my knowledge. My mom and pops, you know, we grew up in the projects. I have uh, two younger brothers. And, you know, we grew up just like a typical, you know, African-American household in New York City, well, Brooklyn. Uh, I was funny. I was just talking to my wife about <laughs> I was watching an episode of uh, Everyone Hates Chris and they were talking about welfare and food stamps. And, you know, that was me growing up. Used to hate taking uh, food stamps to, to key food. So <laughs> <laughs> used to try to hide them. And, so embarrassing. You know, keep the change. Yeah. Keep the change. It was it, that's the way I grew up. So I didn't know much about money. Uh, my first job off the books was packing bags to buy, you know, packing bags at Key Food to buy a video game. Uh, I was able to, you know, make, what was it, $30 in about a month packing bags. And I was able to buy my first video game on my own. And that's when I kind of realized that, you know, you need, you need a job to make money to buy things. So that's the extent of my, my background growing up. Um, And then typical, typical uh, household, like I said, growing up, went to college, learned about student loans and had my first credit card and maxed it out. And now this is back when uh, these basically the loan, the banks and credit card agencies were able to come on campus and and advertise. So I got a free T-shirt, free t-shirt with yep. my credit card. Yep. So uh, that was just a little bit of my background and then um, a little bit about myself. And currently, so me and my wife, we got out one hundred and fourteen thousand dollars of debt in 23 months. And that took a lot of work. And, you know, I'm just here to help people 
who have that much debt or even more or less just kind of do the same. That's incredible. So it sounds like and the, the food stamp struggle is real because I remember getting those and feeling like I don't want to go to the store with this. Like the one day that you go to the store with food stamps, that's when everyone in the entire neighborhood is in the store. Everybody. Chips. And you go to the register and you you buy your stuff, slip on the food stamp off the booklet, you tear it off, crunch, <laughs> hand it to them. You try to walk out. Hey, Poppy, you don't want some change? Exactly. You the food stamp. Never want the change. <laughs> and, and, and your crush, your crush is usually at the register or in the store at the same time, too. Exactly. Staring at you, paying with cash. <laughs> so that so, was my struggle. Yep. That's you know, that's incredible. So how did you go from growing up, you know, in the projects on food stamps to incurring, you know, college debt to you and your wife paying off one hundred and fourteen thousand dollars in less than two years? That's pretty incredible. What was your your moment that had you feeling like something has to change and I need to get out of debt? So after college, uh, at that point. I was a single guy just living check to check um, with some of my frat brothers. <laughs> we were, <laughs> we were, <laughs> you know, you know who you are. So <laughs> we, were, we were blowing money fast and, you know, I would save up a little bit of money here and there. Um, fast forward a couple years after that, um, got married in 2016. Yeah, 2016. And we kind of sat down and we said, all right, well, we combined our finances and we said, how much money do we have? In debt, um, there was one. There was a there was a Christmas in 2016, I believe it was, where we put all of our Christmas gifts on credit cards, and we realized that we went over our our spending, and we had to dig into our savings a little bit to pay off that credit card, and that kind of hurt digging into your savings to pay off a credit card, even though we had the money. We realized that I realized that that's not what we wanted to do. Um, to actually go back a little bit, we were able to cash flow our entire wedding, so. We saved up over the course of two years, which is our engagement, and we paid our wedding in cash. And if you know, if you grew up in New York City, you know how expensive or anywhere, you know how expensive weddings could be. So that was our first major accomplishment together, saving up for that wedding and paying cash. And at that point, we realized we could do anything. And then, like I said, during our Christmas season, we ended up uh, digging into our savings to pay over credit card. And I realized we couldn't we couldn't live that way. So that was the original aha moment. We sat down in January of 2017. And we said, all right, how much debt do we have? And we created a game plan and a roadmap to figure out how we're going to be able to pay this off. Okay. And what was that game plan? So yeah, the game plan was, uh, we didn't have a budget. <laughs> that was that was the, uh, the blueprint. A lot of people say they don't like budgets or they hate the word budgets. And that's literally what our game plan was. And and the way I like to think about a budget is, is you telling your money how you're going to spend it. So it's not your money telling you how it's going to go or it's not putting you into further financial constraint. It's literally you telling yourself how you're going to spend your money. So every dollar that came in, we made sure that we it had a place to go. So there was no money in our budget that didn't have anywhere to go. So we did a zero based budget where at the end of every month, if we had any money left over, it went to it went to one of our goals. If that goal was saving, if that goal was buying something, if that goal was going to debt, going into debt, um, paying off debt, excuse me. That's kind of what our game plan started with was uh, creating that budget. And over the course of those 23 months, we did a lot. We uh, 
not just uh, budgeting. We actually raised our income by twenty thousand. We did all, and that included a lot of side hustles. So I, we were walking dogs, we were pet sitting dogs. Um, we actually made about five thousand dollars over the course of those two years, just in dog income. I guess you could say. We picked up. <laughs> dogs were. Um, we we got a dog, so our dog was essentially just sitting other dogs. We picked up we picked up other side jobs. Um, we both worked at the gym, making you know minimum wage, and that kind of just helped us push forward. And that was uh, essentially what our game plan consisted of: just making more money and making sure our money had a place to go with our budget. Yo, you know it's crazy. That sounds so straightforward, and it sounds like you didn't necessarily reinvent the wheel. You just got you know, smarter about how you treated money. Exactly. But I've been on your your um social media handles and I try to press the like button as often as I can. But one thing I see a lot are people asking you, well, how? You must make a ton of money and you and your wife must have all these things in your favor. So that's why you were able to do it. And I hear a lot of like... I don't want to call it skepticism, but it, it sounds almost like criticism of like, well, he did that. He he and his wife, you know, they're unicorns. Right. How do you or what do you say to the folks that will say, well, they must make, you know, a ton of money each and they have all these things in their favor. And that's why they're able to pay the debt off. So I'm I'm not one to kind of deal in, I would say. Um, critics, I'm kind of, once we started putting our story out there, a lot of people had questions. We were featured in, we were featured in a few articles, money.com. We were featured on Yahoo Finance, NASDAQ, um, Nerd Wallet, and even my, my lender, my, uh, my financial lender, uh, SoFi, social finance. SoFi. SoFi. Yep. So we were, we were featured there and a lot of people were like, you know, there's no way this is possible. And I listened to a lot of Dave Ramsey. And if you know anything about Dave Ramsey is he's a no holds bar straight to the point type of guy. And the people who call into him, it ranges from doctors to lawyers to the mom who's on welfare. So when people say, oh, you you must you're able to do this because of this or yes, we have we have above average incomes. I'm not going to sit here and act like that doesn't play a part. But you, you you listen to Dave Ramsey, you have doctors calling in, lawyers calling in with triple our income and half of our debt. And, you know, they don't have a thousand dollars to their name. So it's not, obviously it's about, you know, how much you make, but it's also about how much you keep. So you can make all the money in the world, but if you don't keep any of it, you're essentially in the same place where the person next to you is. Absolutely. No, that's, that's a valid point. And I wanted to highlight that because again, I've seen people saying, well, you know, the how, the whys, and, um, and even talking to you and watching your story, it made me get smarter about finances because I usually don't really deal with debt at all. But, you know, when things come up, the old mentality was, well, I'll put it on a credit card. But instead, the new mentality is more so, well, no, there's an emergency fund. If something comes up, the money comes out of there. But I definitely had that that moment where I was like, OK, the bonus came in at the end of the year and I thought of all of these things that I wanted materially. And I also thought about the other things I wanted, you know, mentally, which is peace of mind financially. And I was able to knock out all of our consumer debt with my bonus. And did it hurt? 
Absolutely. Of course. <laughs> that's a that's money that that morning I woke up and I saw the money hit my account and I was like, oh man, I'm about to look like a rapper right now. But instead I said, you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna be smart about this so that now if ever I do want to look like a rapper, I can just get it without worrying about, you know, any kind of credit card debt or a credit score or anything else like that. So you've definitely been a motivation to the world. But also to me and mine, because me and my wife now have a pretty aggressive plan to pay off some debt. But also after that, it's like fully funding our kids' education and, you know, investing in a bunch of cool things and getting to the point where if you want to retire, you know, super early, we can and just, you know, live life. So what you're doing has been very impactful. And I think, um, when you're doing great things like what you guys are doing over there, sometimes you don't get a moment to actually appreciate it because you're so busy in the moment. But tell the folks about some of the things that you guys are actually doing. You mentioned that you, you know, you dog sat and and you um, had some side hustles. But tell the folks about some of your your business ventures and some of the things that you're doing with your companies. Oh, yeah. So um, during before I even get to that, I want to go in and say I appreciate you guys, you know, following our story and, you know, applying it to your own lives. And I just want to make sure that, you know, you like I, like I mentioned, you can make all the money in the world, but if it's not staying with you and what your goals are, then it doesn't even matter. Um, one of the things we did start during the course of that time was uh, we started a, a cleaning business, uh, Mates to Match Cleaning Services in Dallas, Texas. Now, it's not the most glamorous thing, um, but that's something that we did start. We don't clean homes. We um, sub subcontract the workout and we just take a, a cut from it. Um, like I said, we uh, we also watch dogs on the side. We um, we also have side jobs. I started a blog that helps people with com to help people kind of get out of de debt. Um, I also started a webinar, which people can kind of follow our story a little bit and learn more about different ways to get out of debt and different ways to raise, you know, your income. And that's the biggest that's the biggest question I get. Um, like you mentioned, it's not it's not that we're unicorns. It's just that outside of your nine to five that conversation that I had with my boss was um, he asked, why do you work outside? <laughs> why do you work outside the job that you know you currently have? You're not you know, do we not pay you enough or you're not happy here? And I pretty much told him straight up, I said, you know, you're limited by how much you can pay me. And that's not your fault. You're limited by how much you can actually give anyone that works that works under you. So I said, I'm not going to be limited by how much you're able to pay me. I'm going to make sure that I utilize all my time outside of work to raise our income to get to our goals faster. So that's exactly what we did um, during that time. So, you know, when we're not working our nine to five, which we, you know, we both love our jobs. I'm a director at an IT consulting firm. My wife, Janoka, she works at a um, mental health counseling um, facility and she's a manager and she loves her job as well. But outside of work, we just do, we do a lot. Of, we do a lot. So she does, she still works at Equinox on the side, which is one of her side jobs. And she also started doing private mental health counseling, which brought, you know, more income in. We're both working on the, the, the cleaning business as well. We're looking to grow that. Um, and we're also looking to teach, you know, Financial Peace University, which is a Dave Ramsey course, just helps people kind of start where we started. Um, and that's what we did when we first got on our financial journey. We sat through this nine week course and we want to give back. So it's going to be a class that we're going to teach in the church, just helping people get their finances in order. That's incredible. And, and you know, a lot of this stuff sounds very practical. Like you have a dog, so why not 
watch other dogs, right? <laughs> and you you both like to work out, so why not get a job at a gym? And I think <laughs> that's exactly the way we thought about it. You know, the ways that you know people want to raise income and people want to have all the sexy side hustles, they want the passive income. Yes, that's great. But if you have a goal right now, the easiest way, if you have a financial goal right now, the easiest way to get there is to work more, to put more hours in. Um, we had time outside of our nine to fives, like you said. Um, we have a dog, so our dog watching other dogs is practical. When I was looking for a gym membership, I was looking for I was looking forward to paying, you know, hundred dollars a month at a fancy high end gym because I made more money. But while we were getting out of debt, I said, we can't do that. So I went to Equinox and I said, do you guys have any openings? They say, oh, yeah. Do you want to be a trainer? I said, well, I kind of looked at their hours. I said, well, I can't be a trainer. I just need something to come in and just kind of, you know, come and go as I please. So I took the I took a minimum wage job and I worked that job for about eight months. And people would see me coming from my career job. I'm dressed up in a suit and they would see me do maintenance. So I'll be dressed up in a shirt that said maintenance. And they're like, wait, you were just dressed up in a full suit. You do maintenance and I will kind of go into the story. So we, we did this. It, what we were doing was extremely practical. It wasn't magic. It was just us getting off our you know couches and putting the work in. And that last that last piece. Not being afraid to roll your sleeves up and. Get money and I'm sure they pay for your gym membership. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you made money and still have to use your high, high end gym. And the lesson there is folks out here got more pride than money, right? At the end of the day, um, you knew who you were and had no qualms about working in the gym for minimum wage. And now you don't have debt. And there's people out there that would say, I would never do that. Meanwhile, Sprint is about to cut their phone bill off. <laughs> right? Like so much of this sounds like it's just about your mentality. And it's about um, a lot of people that I speak to that are rich or trending towards that way they have a charge card that they may use you know towards like if they travel a lot something like that which is a very limited case but a lot of them are very cash everything if i can't buy it in cash i don't need it mm -hmm. and if i want it i'll sleep on it for seven to ten days if i still want it then i'll go get it they're not as impulsive with their money and they they think about how to you know set up the long term instead of thinking okay I got $10 in, I'll spend eight of it. They're thinking, okay, I have 10 coming in from one place, but I need to also find ways to take that 10 and make it 20. And first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pay myself. And then if something is left and I want it, they will go get it. But a lot of that also comes down to the, like these are the same folks that will say, if they have a business, they don't mind answering the phones or they don't mind managing their calendar or going to get the coffee. Like they'll do whatever it takes to make it. And I think that's a, a very important concept that we we lose sight of because in our community, a lot of people that are presumed to be successful are entertainers who their lifestyle, whether it's sports or the arts, their lifestyle is very different and they're all about a show and about appearances. But the richest people in the world don't want to be in Forbes and they don't want to be on BET or MTV. So... <laughs> And what you when you said um, you know what rich people do is very practical. We're not we're not rich in, in my opinion. And now we're not anywhere being rich, and I don't even know what the definition of rich is now. But I just know one of our goals is to not be using food stamps. Huh? Not using food stamps. Hey, hey, oh, that doubt, man. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> that 
that that is that that was one of my goals one day to to not have to worry about food stamps. So I guess you know we we've definitely achieved that goal. And the way we kind of think about you know our side hustles is we we try to have things that supplement our day to day bills. So we'll you know if we, we work at Equinox for a couple hours or we do um, you know my wife does private practice or we have the cleaning business. We want the side hustles to supplement our bills. So let's say Equinox is nine dollars an hour. You know, you work there a couple hours, it pays your it pays your phone bill, pays your light bill. Let's say the cleaning business can supplement our rent our rent for the month. Um, and let's say these other side hustles supplement, you know, your car insurance. At that point, all your side hustles are supplementing your daily bills, and then you could use your income from your career to build wealth and you know buy assets that actually pertain to you building a much larger larger portfolio. Mm, well, I'm happy you mentioned assets because now we got to get into the uh, the tried and true questions that no one agrees on. Yes. Um, first one, what do you think or what's your mentality towards renting a home or an apartment rather or buying a home? Which one do you prefer and why? Oh, this is a uh, this is one of my favorite questions, because when, when we moved down to Dallas, Texas, the first question people asked was um, first statement they said was, well, you're not paying New York rent. So now you could get a huge home. And I'm not sure why that became the uh, measure of success, having a huge home. Uh, we've been renting for three, three years now. And, you know, I, our goal is not to rent forever. But I look at renting as a way for you to live um, hopefully below your means while building while building up for something in the future. So our goal is to continue to rent until we're able to save up a huge down payment for a house. And a lot of people want to go out and, you know, they want to rent and they want to, you know, spend thousands of dollars in a, a place that they don't own. Um, and we're not doing that. We could have easily, you know, went up in 2,200, you know, $3,000 a month in rent if we wanted to. But we don't own that place. That place is not building us wealth. It's just a place that we're currently we're currently living to to live out our means in, in the end. So um, I use I would say renting is great for someone looking to, to that has goals. They're looking to get to somewhere in the future as just a place where they currently live. And I don't see one better than the other. Um, I see a home as a larger way to build wealth. It becomes a part of your, it's a part of your assets, assets as a part of your portfolio. And renting is just a place to sustain your your living conditions until you're able to get to where you want to be. Um, so I guess renting would be short term for me. Um, that's our goal. Um, and then, you know, we'd be saving up for a house right now. That's a very good way to put it, because people rent because usually they plan on moving on to something else at some point or they're only working in a city for a few years or something like that. And a lot of the countries plans and economics are built off of home ownership, which is why you can get like a home equity line against your home to pay for renovation, or you can, you know, take off interest tax. Like you get a lot of benefits for having a home. But like you said, if you have other goals in mind that you want to hit first, why not hit those and rent and have less pressure to maintain a home? Because as we've learned on past episodes of this financial literacy series, home ownership is real and it's a very big responsibility. It's not easy. No, it's definitely not easy. <laughs> so, and you don't want, and, and one thing my wife always talks about, she, you know, when we first moved down, down to Dallas, she, you know, she, her idea was for us to buy a home, but we've been renting for three years now. 
She can call someone to come replace a light bulb. She can call someone to come unclog the toilet if need be. Like, I was like, you can't do that in a house. If I'm not home and you don't want to do it, it's going to stay like that. That's where the house, you have to maintain it. If the uh, heater goes out, um, you're going to have to replace that. So, you know, everyone's like, oh, buy a house. You can rent it out and it builds income, you know, side hustle income. But if you can't maintain the bill, if you don't have anyone living there to, to maintain that mortgage, that money is coming out your pocket. No exactly. one really talks about that when you're talking about building, you know, side hustles from rental income. If you don't have a renter, no one ever talks about that part of it. So just something <laughs> to be mindful of. Absolutely. And that's a that's a very valid point. I know the other hot topic that we got to talk about is car financing Ooh, versus yes. car leasing versus just, you know, buying a used car. And I want to get your thoughts on that as well, because um I've been through all three. I've I've owned a used car. I financed a car and I've leased a car and I see different benefits in all three. But I want to, you know, get a different perspective from you and see what you got to say. So my my handle is Mr. Delete the Debt. So I'm never going to tell you to go <laughs> into debt to to to, to buy anything um, unless it's an extreme circumstance. Um, I've leased, I financed, I've, I've done it. So I, I definitely see the, the, when there's a reason for it, I guess. Um, but where I am currently, um, I leased, I leased my vehicle. We paid it off in a year. Um, and my wife's vehicle died and we're going to, we're going to save up cash and buy her next vehicle. Um, when it comes to leasing versus buying a vehicle outright, um, I would, you know, me personally, if you're looking to build wealth, I would say, you know, save up and just buy a car. I know that's not the the, the perfect answer. I know, you know, there's tons of reasons why people kind of feel like they need to lease or get a new vehicle every two years. And I sat down with someone recently. We were at dinner. We were talking about, you know, of course, finances come up because that's what people, I guess, see me as now. I don't bring it up ever. <laughs> but, uh, they brought up, you know, I just leased my car. What do you think? And I was like, well, you got to do what's best for you in your situation. I, that's that's honestly what I tell people. If you're coming to me for advice, I'm going to never tell you to lease or finance a vehicle. And I say that because I don't want you to have any bills outside of your bills that you need. So you're your house, your utilities, and your food. I don't want you to have any unnecessary bills outside of that. So the more money that you have in your pocket, the more money you can put to wealth. And if you don't have a car payment, that money is staying in your pocket. Right now, the average car payment in America is $500. My car payment was $487 a month when I when I first got my car. And I don't have that car payment anymore. I don't have to worry about you know, having to pay, I'll pay that. If my car has any issues, um, my biggest issue has been tires. You know, I paid $500 for, you know, a tire and that was that. I let, you know, that was the only things that I normally have to pay for. I know with a lease, you can go, you know, get the tires replaced and things like that. But at the end of the day, how often are you going to need to replace those tires or how often are you going to need to do major surgery to your car? So I would prefer you having that money in your pocket monthly versus it going to someone else in any instance. So I will say um, with the tires in New York, every car I've had um, that I've owned, I was going through a tire every five weeks and each tire was like $210. And I was taking that money out of pocket and just repeatedly giving it to Sears because there was so many potholes in the city. Um, I think you make some valid points, but I think... um, People have to do his best in a situation on that one. And I 
I do agree that I think when it comes to financing versus ownership, ideally you should own your car. Um, where I sometimes diverge is if my wife is doing most of the driving, I'd rather her be in a car with, you know, roadside assistance and all these different safety features where she can just call a dealership. They'll come get the car as needed and they'll maintain the car because I work ridiculous hours and I don't have time to fix a car anymore. I don't have time to drop a car off to a mechanic. So I tell people, if you have a choice between financing and leasing, reason why I would never finance a car is because I was taught by older people that if you have good credit, you, you can go to the dealership and say, okay, I, I want that car with a tier zero, you know, zero APR setup. Give me the 60 months. And then you pay the entire thing off in month one and you pay no interest on the car and it's yours. Right. But that's if you have, you know, 30 or $40,000 laying around for a car. If you're leasing and your monthly income is, let's say $100 and your lease is 10 and that lease also includes, you know, maintenance and you need to drive a lot and not have to worry about a car, then that may be an option. But you should never finance a car if it's going to cost you out of that 100, you know, 80 or even like more than, I say more than like $20, $30 a month out of the 100 towards a, a car loan or a lease. That's a lot. And again, on that one, it, there's no tried and true answer. Like you said, the majority of the people that I know, they they lease cars and their reasoning is that, well, it's it's a it's not really an asset. It's a depreciating asset that once I drive it off, it won't be worth anything. And unless it's a car that I want forever, I'm not going to buy it. I'd rather have the reliability. But again, it's one of those things where, you know, you got to do what's best for you. As long as you're not going into crazy debt, like you said, like spending way more than you should on a monthly note just to prove that you can. I think that's the that's the danger of financing and leasing sometimes is that if that's your car and you own it and you got to maintain it, that's one thing. And you do have that free money. But I think I've seen people on, Insta- on uh, Instagram bragging about, oh, my car note is 900. That's light. That's not something to brag about. You know <laughs> that's $900 a month that you don't have in your pocket that you're giving to someone else. That's the way, that's the way I think about it. And unfortunately, the uh, hood bookers on Instagram will disagree with you. That's okay. That's a very normal And that's, you know, those people are my target demographic. I had a conversation with someone. They came to me um, for advice and we sat down and went over their budget. And I said, I was like, you know, you can't afford your car, right? And and they said, why don't you think I can afford my car? I said, because you're coming to me me about challenges paying off your, your loans and your car is your car. Your car note is five hundred dollars a month. You can't afford it. It's like, well, I can afford my car note. And I kind of, you know, at that point, when someone tells me that, you know, if you're coming to me for advice and you tell me that you can afford something that, in my opinion, you can't afford, <laughs> I kind of left that conversation alone. Um, I said, you know what? I, I get it. I understand that. I'm going to tell you that you can't afford your car. You need to sell it, and you need to downgrade your vehicle. You know, they're going to start giving me the reasons why they need to keep their vehicle, and the ones are that I hear the most are. The ones that you the ones that you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, roadside assistance and uh, you mentioned the replacements for this and you mentioned I drive long miles. And I need something reliable um, in college. I had a four thousand dollar car that I saved up and paid cash in and that car, that car lasted me two and a half years. And if I could say I've done that and 
in two years as a college student, I feel like, you know, you as an adult, if you can save up, you know, $500 a month and it takes you five, six, you know, seven months to save up and buy a car that lasts you for two years and you do it again and you upgrade once you kind of get a better understanding of your finances, you know, feel free to do that. But if someone's coming to me and they're asking me for advice on, you know, this type of stuff, I'm going to always tell them to save up cash and not go with the the high priced vehicle that you see on Instagram with the, the hood boogers, I guess. <laughs> no, that's true. It, that sounds like a Dave Ramsey special. It's like every two years you can sell that car off and upgrade based on the money that you've, one, you've saved, but also the resale price of your car. Um yeah, and I'm only going to tell people things I've done. So if I've done something and I felt like it was a mistake, I'm going to tell you how to avoid that mistake. And I'm going to tell you what I'm doing now. The advice that I give is never anything that I haven't done or things that I aren't, I am not doing right now. And that goes with everything that I'm talking about. Even if it's side hustles, I'm not going to sit here and tell you how to make a million dollars passively. I'm only going to tell you what I've done and what I'm currently doing. Excellent. Excellent. And that's the key. It's like getting voices of folks that have done it in different kinds of ways. Um, I want you to dive a little bit into the MrDeleteTheDebt.com webinar. What is that about and where can folks get a hold of that at? Yep. So uh, MrDeleteTheDebt.com um, was a, is a blog that I started around our debt-free journey. Once we got towards the end of our debt, like the last $40,000, we started putting our story out there a lot more. We were, we were more confident around what we're doing, what we've done and where we were going. So I started documenting our stories and things we've done along the way to help other people get out of debt. Um, we started getting a lot of questions and I noticed that the questions were very similar. Um, leasing versus financing, um, credit. Uh, credit is a big one that I am completely against the, the credit system itself. Um, the, and I kind of talk about that on the Mr. Delete the Debt, the No Nonsense Guide to Debt Freedom webinar. I kind of dive into credit and um, we talk about that a little bit. And the goal of Mr. Delete the Debt is just, just to give you another mindset around what these systems are. So if you ever sit down and watch TV, you notice that every other advertisement, you're either looking at some sort of beer commercial or you're looking at some other way to go into debt. So you'll see a car commercial, you'll see a credit card commercial, you'll see something around traveling. So that was my goal with Miss Billy to that to change people's mindsets around debt as a whole. And the webinar itself was really a compilation of the questions that I was receiving on a daily basis, ways to raise your income, um, the budget. I hate budgeting. How can I start the budget? So that's what the webinar is. And it's about an hour long and it kind of goes into each segment in a more detailed way um, of ways to get out of debt how to raise your income, um, how to avoid credit, how to raise your credit score in different ways. Um, and that's kind of what the the purpose of it is. Got you. We'll make sure that we can let people know where they can get that fine webinar. I purchased it already. I got through the first like five minutes of it and then work. You, <laughs> you, you went to sleep after? No, no. It was good <laughs> stuff. It was like day one I bought it. I just couldn't sit there and do it because work got kind of crazy that day. And I wanted to be able to like be fully invested and give you like good feedback about it. But I do want to circle back on something because you mentioned marriage a few times and you mentioned your wife who I happen to know she's great woman, tremendous, but <laughs> tremendously bigly. Exactly. Trump voice. But you mentioned her being on board with your journey and 
I'm sure you get this question a lot, but I think it's an important one. How does financial literacy impact relationships? Like, I've been told, and I, I personally think it's a deal breaker, right? I think if you grew up super frugal and she grew up, you know, as a Hilton or as like a Kardashian, you may have to like figure out how to align those two different perspectives. But tell the people your thoughts on the importance of financial literacy and a good financial mentality in a marriage and in a relationship. Okay. Um, We do get that. I do get that question a lot in regards to finances and just being married. So one of the things we, when we first started on this journey, she was not on board. There was nothing I could tell her to get on board. But when I, we kept, I kept reverting back to the the wedding. I said, we saved up and we paid for our wedding. Uh, We saved up and paid for our wedding. We saved up and paid for our wedding. Why can't we save up to get out of debt? Why can't we do the same things we did for the wedding to get out of debt? So once I compared what we did for the wedding to our debt journey, she started listening. I kind of let her sit on it for a little bit. Um, and she came around. And, and a big way that she came around was Valentine's Day 2017. She got me this Dave Ramsey course. And we sat and she went to the class with me. It's a nine-week class. We sat down and went through it. She created a contract for me to sign. And uh, she said, if I'm going to do this, we're going to, you know, you're going to listen to my side. You're going to talk about finances with me. You're going to make sure I understand what we're doing. You're not going to take this by the horns and run with it because I can be aggressive sometimes with that type of stuff. Brooklyn. <laughs> You're going to be able to uh, explain this stuff to me. Uh, I'm going to be able to go to my Beyonce concerts. <laughs> that was a big one. We're going to be able to um, have fun while we do this. Um, so that's a question that I get a lot. And I just, you know, I planted the idea, let her sit on it. And it was going to be something that we felt like we were going to have to do to get our marriage in order. So um she came around to the idea on her own. I didn't force her. And getting your getting your spouse, your fiance, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whoever on board is huge for financial literacy. And it's only and one of the things we started thinking about was why. Why are we doing this? What does it mean for our marriage? What does it mean for our future? What does it mean for our generations? So we're teaching ourselves financial literacy because number one, we didn't learn it growing up. And number two, we're able to pass this knowledge down to our future, you know, seeds that are in coming into the world one day. We don't have any kids right now. And like I said, we sat down, we mapped out this journey and we kind of sat down and said, what does this look like when we're out of debt? What does it mean? One of the things we said we're going to do as soon as we got out of debt is go on a trip. So that's exactly what we did. We got out of debt in December, 2018, um, first week of January, we went on a trip to Cabo for a weekend because we didn't have debt anymore. We want to celebrate that. And we said, what else does our not being in debt look like? All right, well, let's save up for an emergency fund. So we were able to save up over $20,000 for a fully funded emergency fund, which nice. is actually overkill. We actually took some of that out and put it into investments. What else does it look like being out of debt? Oh, we can save up for a house. Oh, um, we can save up for our kids' college fund. Our kids be able to graduate college with no debt. So that's, we start talking about the why. And once you kind of sit down and figure out your why with your spouse, like I said, you'll be able to understand what it means. And it creates a larger picture for both of you guys. It becomes bigger than yourself. So it sounds like, in the words of the uh, wise prophet from uh, Brevoort Houses, John Jackson, money can't buy happiness, but it's a damn good down payment. <laughs> Bingo. It's, uh, right. People, because people ask me the same thing, too. And I tell people, you know, I I come from 
humble beginners. I wasn't poor, but we weren't like balling by any stretch of the imagination. And my wife comes from a, a family where they had more. They grew up in a house. Um, they had more. So our mentality was different because I felt like the more I make, the more I want to grow it, as opposed to early on, her mentality was, well, we'll just put it on the card and, you know, when we get paid, we'll figure it out or whatever, whatever. And, you know, my thought was, if I can't buy that in cash, I'll wait for it. And hers was like, well, if I can't buy it in cash now, I'll put it on the credit card. And <laughs> how we've how we've kind of gotten over that was because I had some real conversations and as our incomes rose, um, and you know, kids got added to the picture. It's like, okay, my mentality is none of like nothing I'm doing right now is really for me. Like I've I've lived, I've bought the material things I've wanted. We, we like to travel. Um, but in terms of like the material things, I've done it and the things I like, like I like watches, I get, you know, decent watches, but I don't think I should have the same watch as Jay-Z. Jay-Z can afford, you know, an eighty or hundred thousand dollar watch or even a twenty-five thousand dollar watch. And not think about it. And I can't necessarily spend $25,000 on a watch and and not feel that. Like, I'm going to feel that immediately financially, right? And once I kind of use that as an example, it's like, okay, right now, you know, Jay-Z is people who have no debt and we want to do certain things. Here's how we should do it. Here's the wiggle room. The wiggle room is um, when it comes to the house and groceries, we don't need to buy everything in bulk. Let's buy what we need week by week. And we'll actually wind up using less and then take that same money and we can put that towards, you know, school loans or put it into a vacation fund or, or put it into a child educational fund. Once we had that kind of conversation and she bought into it, like you said, it became a lot easier. But early on, my mentality of I'm never going back to poverty. And I told her, I said, you grew up with a silver spoon. Mine was plastic. So <laughs> I remember doing my homework in the hallway because the lights was off. Like, I remember some rough summers. So I'm never going to ever be in that position ever again. Like, I told myself that before I got engaged, when I got married, when kid one came, I'm like, listen, my kids, my family will never go through anything I went through that was negative. Like, hard times made a nigga hate Santa Claus. Like, Lloyd Banks voice. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm never going back to that. And once she realized that that was the goal and it wasn't me just being cheap for no reason and she bought into it, now it's like, okay, we have a lot more money to play around with. And as our salaries increase, we're thinking about ways to, you know, maximize every penny. So it's like, okay, we have stuff in the house that we don't wear. Put it on Poshmark. Put it on eBay. Shout out mm-hmm. to the goat for put me on to, you know, StockX and GOAT and all that. Um, selling all my old sneakers, like anything that I don't need, sell it. Like, even if I can't get the same money back for it, I'm getting something back for it. It's taking up less space in the house and I'm that much closer to my financial goals as well. And one thing you mentioned that was extremely important, going back to the watches and just looking at Jay-Z, one thing we realized early on in our journey is that keeping up with the Joneses, everyone wants to keep up the Joneses, but the Joneses are actually broke they just hide it well. So exactly. not saying that Jay-Z and Beyonce is broke. They're far from broke. <laughs> but the people, that, the people that you live next door to, the people that you see on the street, these people are broke and they're just hiding it well. So 
you trying to keep up with the Joneses, you're going to end up exactly where they are. Um, we had a we had dinner with this couple that we met at Equinox, and you know we had a few margaritas, and he, you know the husband said, you know what, we are house poor. I don't know how that conversation came up. He must be extremely stressed. He said mid conversation is where this house is killing. We know we were talking about the house actually. It's a very expensive neighborhood in Dallas, and he said that this house is killing us financially. We can't afford it and we can't sell it because how what would our neighbors think? So that made me go back to realizing that the Joneses are broke and they just hide it extremely well. Very nice guy, very nice family. But he told us straight up that he only keeps the house because what his neighbors would think if they sold it. And that lets you know that you shouldn't be living based off of the way other people appear to be living. So once you kind of get that out your your mindset and you live on your own means and your own family means, you'll be you'll be well, you'll be extremely well off. That's so that's so important. Like I was talking to one of my, my old heads recently, you know, about watches. And I was like, Yeah, I'm thinking about getting this watch. And he was like, um, oh, that's a good one. Um, whenever you're ready, you know, we'll go get that and get you a deal on it. Yeah, I could get the retail price. Like I, I got that, but his whole mentality was get what you want and pay less than you need to for it. And he was like, he was saying like, yeah, you know, I have some watches that cost this amount and that amount. And I would never go for the Jay-Z watch because the same thing I'm saying, basically he, he was saying, cause I would feel like buying a watch for $80,000, I would feel that immediately. Right. And as a people, sometimes in our community, we have this contest going on about who can hide their poverty the best. So it's like, if we both live in the projects, but you drive a, a big body Benz and live check to check and I drive a old Honda, but I'm saving to leave the projects. Who do you think is going to get more, more traction and more respect? Who's going to have, have more clout as the young kids say. Exactly. The person <laughs> with the bends will have more clout. And my pops always told me, you know, ride the train from like 125th to like downtown and you see who gets off at what stop. All the guys with the, you know, not bummy t-shirts, but dressed a little bit more um, indiscreet, but more like like a grown man may wear a t-shirt, some good jeans and some good uh, sneakers with a watch. You may not know that his pants cost 250 because there won't be as many labels on it. But then he may get off at 68th Street and go to the brownstone that he owns or the condo that he owns. Somebody else may get off at 125th and have on a $10,000 outfit, but then got to go sleep in a bunk bed and have their moms pressing them about putting $100 towards the rent. Like, who do you want to be when it comes down to it at the end of the day? And I think a lot of people aren't prepared to make those tough sacrifices and, you know, sweep floors and work at gyms to then be able to say, I can up and go whenever I want to and I can quit my job tomorrow because I have financial freedom. Being, being, being broke is... Being broke is what you know. It's is what you see around you every day. We're looking to be different. You know, being different is not going into debt, not worrying about credit cards, not you know being able to do those jobs that people don't want to do. We're looking to be different than you know the norm. Absolutely. So, in closing, any words of wisdom you want to give to the folks? Words of wisdom. Um, I am not a very prolific person, so I don't have a uh, words of wisdom, but. I would just recommend people just, you know, living, 
following the basic um, principles of finances, um, getting on a budget, living below your means, living below what you make. Um, do not go and do lifestyle inflation. You get a raise, don't raise your lifestyle. Don't get a new car. Don't you know go rent a more expensive apartment. Um, don't take out don't take out debt you don't need. Don't don't worry about your credit score. Um, focus on those basics, and you'll be well off. And when you say don't focus on your credit score, you mean don't focus on raising it or don't focus on maintaining it? Don't focus on don't focus on it as a whole. If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing financially, it's automatically going to go up. Their job is to make sure that you stay in debt and they want you to take out more credit. So if you pay your bills off, you get out of debt, they're going to keep they're going to make sure that you, you can get more debt if you need it. Mm-hmm. OK, no, that makes sense. Tell the folks where they can find your numerous businesses online and give them your Instagram, your, your Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Um, you could find me at MrDeleteTheDebt.com and all my information is there. You can find me on Instagram, MrDeleteTheDebt.com. Uh, yeah, so those are it. Well, once again, appreciate your, your time. Um, very proud of what you've been able to accomplish with your wife. Give her my regards as well. And this is part three of the financial literacy series with the Stereo Bros. It's your boys, Patagonia and Lattes, because you can't have a good Patagonia without a latte. You can't have a good latte without a Patagonia on, man. We out of here. All right. All right.